Let's pray. O Trinity of love and power, strong to save, As that choir opened up with the organ, we felt the rumble. of Your power. We needed to hear that. On this day in which we consider a world desperately in need, eternal Father and Son and Spirit strong to save, Use us any way you wish to accomplish that dream you have clung to all these millennia through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Before we share some more pictures and a video clip, I need to be reminded and perhaps you do too, and alumni, we want you to know that for 90 days this summer, this congregation and this campus banded together and earnestly cried out to God for the fulfillment of His promise in Isaiah 43. Pastor Michael just quoted that a moment ago in his prayer. Isaiah 43, 19, 44, 3, God says, I will do a new thing. I will pour water on the thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. In fact, we got together as faculty and staff at the end of the summer and we drew a circle as it were in the sand and we got inside the circle and we said, God, we are not coming out of this circle until you fulfill your promise and send that rain. And then seven days later, the freshmen, their first time of worship in this church, they signed that circle right there, put their, affixed their names, and said, oh God, you can use me as a new student on this campus any way you wish to do a new thing in this place. But wouldn't it be something if all these prayers were already being answered? If by God doing a new thing, far away from here, he was doing a new thing in here. Wouldn't it be something if God's intent to answer our prayers for doing a new thing here would be by getting us to do a new thing over there? Consider this incident from the life of the Galilean as compelling proof of that. Because you see, the question is, does God answer the prayers of pagans? Does he? Mm. Karen and I just got back, as I already told the kids. Land of the rising sun, Tokyo, the city of my birth, 14 years there. So when the leaders in Japan called and said, would you be willing to come over and do something called Tokyo 13? It wasn't a long prayer to pray or to help answer. One day after lunch with the pastoral couple that I put on the screen, I want to put them back on the screen for a moment. That's one of the key churches in, the, uh, in, the, in that island nation. That's Harajuku Church, Central Church, where I was baptized, a different church at that time. They've rebuilt it. Got baptized just after they invented electricity in Japan. That's Pastor and Mrs. Lee, Korean, 30 years a businessman in Japan, fluent Japanese. 
Then he went to something called Net 98, a satellite event that came from Andrews to the whole world. And in Net 98, he made his decision to join the Seventh-day Adventist Church and to become a pastor. And it was such an honor to be partnered with him. Can you imagine the honor? A hard-working preacher. We went on a walk after lunch together. We went on a walk to the nearby Meiji Shrine. This is a Shinto shrine. Whenever you come to a Shinto shrine, you have these, you've seen these, you know these large gateways. They're called tories in, in uh, Japanese. They're a little big, but this is a huge one. The, within this shrine are enshrined, they say, the souls of the Empress Meiji and his consort, the, em- the, uh, the Empress, you know, the Emperor and the Empress. You're walking just a few feet past this and you come, to the, you come across this sign in English during the Meiji era, Emperor Meiji, whose divine soul is enshrined here at Meiji, Jingu, led the industrial growth and modernization of Japan by encouraging various industries as a tribute to the emperor's soul who, with his wife, is enshrined here. And then it describes what all these colorful, colorful barrels are. I want you to see these barrels in the next picture. Those are barrels of Japanese rice wine that's called sake. You've heard of sake. That's their drink. It's alcoholic beverage, and those are stacked up along the side of this pathway leading to the shrine where the souls are being kept, they say. Finally, we come to that shrine. You another Torah. You go through that Torah. There is the shrine, and we happen to get there perfectly timed to watch a young novitiate practitioner in the Shinto faith, to watch him pound the sacred drum, call, summon the spirits. Just as I was taking that picture, a guard came racing over and said, you cannot take pictures here. Owari, sayonara. So I said, okay, at least you got the drum. <laughs> After that, the, the high priest with an associate came out, pitter-pattered up the stairs, and fed the spirits of the emperor and the empress. When you leave the shrine, you come to a little prayer gazebo, and on the gazebo are hanging these little wooden prayer cards, signs in English and Japanese say that for 500 yen, that's exactly five bucks, you can uh, write a prayer, and the Shinto priest will pray that prayer, and you see all the different languages, Japanese up in the top, but then uh, I don't even know what that language is uh, uh, on the left. And then the next slide will show you somebody from your language and mine stopped by and wrote this prayer. We pray for a long life of happiness, love, and strength within our hope, within our home. We pray for our children to grow and to have a prosperous life, signed Mark and Serena, September 7, just a few days ago. Does God answer the prayers of pagans? This incident with the Galilean declares that, in fact, the answer to that is a resounding yes. I want you to go to this story of a pagan, one of the rare pagans in the Gospels. This is Matthew chapter 15. You've got your smartphone, your tablet, you didn't bring a Bible, you've got a, a pew Bible right in front of you. Choir, join us as well. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 and choir, that chorale, that was just absolutely moving the way you rendered that, uh, that hymn to the Trinity. It's the God we want to focus on here. He came in human form as the Galilean. This is Matthew chapter 15. It's page uh, 660 in the pew Bible. I'm in the NIV. In this series, verse 21, uh, Matthew 15, 21, leaving that place, that would be Galilee, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This actually is the second withdrawal of the Galilean. The first withdrawal we noted a few weeks ago when Jesus withdrew from active ministry in Judea because they rejected him down there. So now he's driven back to his home region. He will be accepted among the Galileans for a while. 
Back in the, uh, uh, the, the text that Matthew gives in, in chapter 4 describing that, that first withdrawal from Judea, these words, and I want you to read these again in the context of, of Japan and the world in need. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, that would be John the Baptist, he withdrew to Galilee, first withdrawal from Judea to Galilee, to fulfill what was said to the prophet Isaiah. Let's go. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now listen to this. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You, don't, you do not know how many times I have read these words over the last few weeks and prayed this prayer on behalf of the 128 million people in, in my homeland of Japan. The people living in a land of darkness where death casts its shadow as a new living renders it. People living where death casts its shadow have seen a new light. God, that the, would, would that you would send the light of the Galilean to that affluent, successful, westernized, pagan nation. The Shinto religion and culture, unique to Japan. You know, China has a religion... Uh, a lot of the Oriental religions are shared, but Japan has a unique religion not found anywhere else on earth. It's the Shinto religion. It is a culture. I didn't realize how embedded in the culture of death this religion is. The Japanese demonstrate a high reverence and regard for their ancestors, what they call their senzo. In nearly every home, Japanese home, you will find a kamidana, a little god, god shelf in some corner of a room in that house. There will be some uh, accoutrements that remind them of their ancestors. They will place food there to feed the spirits of their ancestors. The kami. You've heard of the kamikaze, the spirit wind. Kami means spirit. Their ancestors become these spirits. It is spirit worship. I read a book in preparation for uh, flying over to Tokyo in this evangelistic series written by an English anthropologist. got his Ph.D. from Cambridge. His name David Lewis did his doctoral research in Japan, living in Japan with his wife. Turns out he's a Christian. And he writes this book afterwards, Behind the Mask of Japan. He's describing Shinto religion. You know, I grew up as a kid, 14 years, but, it, you know, you just kind of assume that these Tories are just tourist attractions. I never realized how embedded in the Japanese culture is this culture of death, this Shinto religion. It's, it's their DNA. From Fortune 500 companies to little village farmhouses everywhere, the kami are, the spirits are, and, the, and they choose their timing and release of products. Everything is run, driven by this culture of the dark. They are a people living in the land of the shadow of death. Galilee, Japan, and guess what? You got it. United States as well. We, we live in a culture of death here. Come on. You want to listen to hip-hop? You want to listen to the lyrics on MTV? What are those lyrics? They're of death. Entertainment. The gun industry. We live in a culture of death. The whole planet lives in a culture of death. Guess why? Guess who the prince of the world is? Whose culture is death? Darkness. If he could hold the entire seven billion of this planet in darkness, he would. He can't. And he won't. Anyway, here in Matthew 4, Jesus makes his first withdrawal. Withdraws from Judea. They reject him. Eventually, they reject him in Galilee. Remember the last time we were together? Jesus turns to his, turns to his 12 and says, Are you guys leaving as well? A moment of huge vulnerability. You're going to leave me too? You're leaving? He has to leave Galilee now. 
Verse 21 again, leaving, leaving that place, Galilee, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 22, and a Canaanite woman came, Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. We're talking here, ladies and gentlemen, about full-blown pagan heathen. There is not a drop of Semitic blood in this woman. She is from the ancient Canaanite lineage, from the son of Ham. The son of Noah, pagan to the core, which is precisely why, by the way, the Galilean has brought his sheltered and arrogant Jewish disciples to this heathen region. If they want God to do a new thing, there is a lesson for them to learn, and it is a lesson we must learn would God do a new thing in our midst. Read that verse again, and the Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. I want you to watch a portion of a video clip that I believe the Spirit led me to this summer in preparing for this evangelistic miniseries. Played it twice over there to Japanese audiences. I've never, I'll just tell you this, I have never worked harder to contextualize a lecture series to fit the culture than I have on, on this one, going back to my homeland. I believe God gave me this documentary. You're going to see why in a moment. The title of the documentary, it's an award-winning documentary, Children Full of Life. It's a, produced by Canada or the U.S., somebody over here. It's the story of a fourth-grade classroom, 35 10-year-olds in a little elementary school in Kanazawa, which is just northwest of Tokyo, and a beloved teacher. You're going to meet him. I've watched this so many times, and I, my heart is, is, is just bows before the skill of this Shinto, this Shinto teacher. His name is Toshiro Kanamori. He has taught the children to, in, to reveal their inner feelings through writing letters, and periodically he will have them get up front and read the letters. The letters are the occasion and the focus of this five-part YouTube documentary series. This particular clip is on death. I want you to watch how the Shinto children confront death. We'll roll the clip right here. This is the Minami Kodatsuno Kanazawa Municipal Elementary School, Grade 4, Class 1. It's April 2002, a new school year. Grade 3 is past, faded but not forgotten. Here's someone from back then. They're overjoyed to see their homeroom teacher is Toshiro Kanamori, same as last year. The best. Kind and tough and funny. But this sounds strange to a Western ear. The class goal for grade four is to understand how to live a happy life, 
how to care for other people. Mr. Kanamori's class has a tradition. Every day in homeroom, three students read aloud letters they've written. They're called notebook letters. They're written to the other students, and they're a true, surprising record of what these ten-year-olds really think. Happiness, irritation, determination, gratitude, whatever's real, because the other children will pick up whatever isn't. Late April, Ren Sueda comes to class for the first time in four days. His grandmother died. In his notebook, Ren writes about the death, the funeral, his loss. They were worried. They didn't know why Ren was away. Now they're moved at his pain and saddened by his loss. ごく別式だった。最後のお別れに花をいっぱい入れてあげた。僕は涙がボロボロと出た。みんなも泣いていた。バスで仮装場へ行った。1時間ぐらいでおばあちゃんは骨になっていた。おばあちゃんがいなく
三歳だったんだけど、あのしんあのそういうことが分かってて、それで。She'd been afraid to talk about her father. She didn't want to seem different. She paid a price. 育ってたんだけど、でも涙が止まらなくて、電話ができないぐらいだったので、その話を聞いて私はすごく楽しかったです。Now, at last, she feels safe enough to talk about her missing parent. Hmm. To ne, kono gakkyu de ichiban boku wa tsurai keiken wo motte iru no wa mifuyu da to omoru. De, kyo wa boku wa mifuyu ga sono koto wo itsumo kokoro ni shimatte okuto tsurai. ね、南美冬だから一度は美冬がお父さんのことをみんなの前で言った方が気が楽になるだろうなと思ってたけどもその心をねレンちゃんの頼りも開いてくれたわけだ手紙なのかな。They're trying to understand. They all find it painful. Some find it unbearable. Yo Enomoto is the class spark plug, high energy, charming. Now he's remembering the death of his grandmother. So I'm going to start. Ah, so that's good. Yes, it's 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 Nobody's talked to you about death, but there's hope. I want to go up and hug that teacher. A masterful way in which he leads those little lives. He has no hope to offer them, but he loves them. What do we just read? People living in darkness have seen a great light in the land where death casts its shadow. If, if only they could know what you and I know. If only they could know whom you and I know. That's the point. That's the point. That was the Syrophoenician pagan mother, by the way, desperate for this Galilean to deliver her daughter who was demon-possessed and suffering terribly. This is a description of the land of Japan, suffering terribly, harassed and held in the icy grip of fear by the fallen demons of Satan himself. I need to insert a caveat right here, a parenthetical statement. I am not saying to you what I did not say to them. We had to deal with these issues. Spent a whole evening on death. It's huge in that culture. But I tell you what, the last thing any country needs is an American to come flitting in for a few hours and, de and describe for them all the ills of their society. And so every time I talked about something that is, a, is an Achilles heel for them, I described our own brokenness in this nation. I said, you've heard about how we sell guns on the streets in this country and we kill wantonly. We live in this culture of death ourselves. 
The fact of the matter is, we are as morally and spiritually in need as any pagan nation on earth. They say we have some sort of Christian heritage. Haven't seen that in a while. Japan suffers terribly from the grip of spiritual fear. Listen to this. Their suicide rate, according to the World Health Organization, is the highest rate of any developed nation on earth. 25.8 out of every 100,000 people in Japan commit suicide. That figures out to over 31,000 a year. And after I quoted that statistic, the pastor that you met a moment ago, he, he took me aside and said, Dwight, you really need to know that we figure in this country it is double that because of a shame-based society where shame and honor are the ruling values. People don't take, well, Junior didn't come home, Daddy didn't come home from work or vacation or whatever. They're just, they're just mum. Family members just disappear. Could be up to 60,000 a year. In fact, they have a place on the far side of Mount Fuji the, the actual geographic name is Aokigahara Jukai. It's called the, the Sea of Trees, but they've nicknamed it the Suicide Forest. I was reading the Japan Times and came across this feature article. I'll give you a picture from uh, that suicide forest. People go there to commit suicide. Now, you need to understand that in Japan, because of their samurai culture, seppuku, the, the act of taking your life is acceptable. But that forest has become a place in Japan to go to. In fact, every month, get this, the local police and volunteer firemen comb through the entire forest in search of bodies. In 2004, the suicide rate was so high that every third day, someone entered that forest and ended his or her life. Every third day, somebody's dying in that forest. It's well known. It's well photographed. And it's tragic. The sign, signs in Japanese outside the forest read, Think carefully about your children, your family. Men in, 30s, in their 30s and 40s now are the, are the fastest growing demographic slice for suicides. They're people living in a land of darkness, a land where death casts its shadow. This pagan mother knows that land. Verse 22, and a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Jesus, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering, suffering terribly. But Jesus did not answer a word. So, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Jesus, come on, just get her, get her gone. She's bothering us. Makes me wonder, you and I, with all our Christian and Advent certainties and hopes, are we any better than the disciples of the Galilean? I mean, oh, come on, this isn't our problem. This is their problem. When, when you're a pagan nation, you get stats like this. Oh, really? In fact, Jesus, why don't you just send them away? Just send them away. Their cries for help are wearing us out. We don't need to hear this anymore. And so we gather Sabbath by Sabbath in this place. Lovely, sanitized Christian faith, untroubled, uncaring, unconcerned, as long as we have our cottage cheese casseroles for dinner, who cares? Send them away, Jesus. They're bothering us with those cries for help. Verse 24, Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Most of us have mistaken what he meant there as well figuring that our energies and time and life investments need to be focused on Israel. You know, the community of faith. This is where we need to be spending our time. We got lost sheep here. We need to be worrying about them. Well, Jesus certainly agrees that we have lost sheep here. However, 
The truth is, some of our lost sheep wouldn't be lost if they were concerned for the lost sheep outside of Israel. Because that was Jesus' point. He came precisely to that region for that specific pagan mother. She was the lost sheep of Israel that he had come to save. But the lost sheep of Israel are the lost sheep of this pagan world, and they are all our business. The sophisticated pagan Japans of earth and the faraway India and Bangladeshs of this earth are our business at Andrews University on this little rural secluded campus. They're our business. We can't send them away. We hear their cries. We have to respond. That's the point. There why, by the way, the Galilean placed himself smack dab in the path of this desperate pagan mother whose Christian faith, by the way, was about the size of a mustard seed, but it was just enough to get her daughter delivered. The woman came and knelt before him. She's down on hand. Uh, she's down on all four now. She's down on all four in front of the Galilean. She came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Jesus replied, verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the Greek reads, little dogs. She shoots back. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the little dogs eat. And then she adds the little crumbs in the Greek, the little crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus stops. A look of wonder and compassion on the Galilean's face as he stares into her dark eyes. And he says, woman, you are incredible. Woman, pagan woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment, just like that. Does God hear the prayers of pagans? You now have the answer. He does. Then what shall we do? We who know that he does. Consider the words of the Canadian theologian Clark Pinnock. The study guide in your bulletin today is not to fill in. It's for you to keep these quotations. You can take this one home. This is from his book, A Wideness in God's Mercy, The Finality of Jesus Christ in a World of Religions. Put it on the screen for you. I love this. The triune God is a missionary God. The choir sings of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. The triune God that they sang of is a missionary God. Missions are a part of God's strategy for transforming the world and changing history. I love that. One goal of missions is quantitative, to baptize and form congregations. The other goal is qualitative, to change life's atmosphere, to infect people with hope, love, and responsibility for the world, end quote. What Jesus did for that pagan mother was qualitative. He changed life's atmosphere for her. He infected her with hope and love and salvation. You can do the same thing. The triune God is a missionary God. You can be the same kind of missionary. Here's how David Platt puts it in his book, Radical, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. This is powerful. Put these words on the screen as well. Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? We owe Christ to the world at Andrews University to the least person and to the greatest person, to the richest person and to the poorest person, to the best person and to the worst person. We are in debt to the nations. Encompassed with this debt, though, in our contemporary approach to missions, we have subtly taken ourselves out from under the weight of a lost and dying world. We have wrung our hands in pious concern, and we have said, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm just not called to that. The result is tragic. 
A majority of individuals supposedly saved from eternal damnation by the gospel are now sitting back and making excuses for not sharing that gospel with the rest of the world. Platt keeps writing. But what if we don't need to sit back and wait for a call to foreign missions? What if the very reason we have breath today is because we have been saved for global mission? What if that's why you're alive? The one purpose you got born. What if... And what if anything less than passionate involvement in global mission is actually selling God short by frustrating the very purpose for which he created us? End quote. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Every person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. That's been what Paul had in mind when he said, I'm a debtor to the, to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the educated and the illiterate. I'm in debt to the world. What if every, the very reason we have breath is because we have been saved for global mission? As students of this university, as the alumni of this celebrated institution of higher learning, the very reason we have breath, what if it is to be a missionary for the Galilean? A century ago, this impassioned appeal was made. Put her words on the screen for you. Jesus is calling for many missionaries, for men and women who will concentrate themselves, consecrate themselves to God, willing to spend and be spent in His service. Oh, can we not remember that there is a world to labor for? Shall we not move forward step by step, letting God use us as His helping hand? Shall we not place ourselves on the altar of service? Then the love of Christ will touch and transform us. You see, that's when the love touches you. It's when you give yourself. When you give yourself, then the love of Christ will touch and transform us, make us making us willing for His sake to do and dare. I love that. To do and to dare. That's what the life of a missionary is. To do and to dare. 128 million people in Japan are waiting for somebody to come. Multiply that by every pagan nation on earth. Billions of God's earth children waiting for somebody to bring the light of the Galilee into them. Otherwise, they hug each other, they cry, and they suffer on. Suffering terribly, the mother said. The people living in darkness... In the land where death casts its shadow, they are waiting still. Robert Moffat, the great African missionary, inspired a young Scot named David Livingston to offer up his life as a missionary with these words that Livingston would never forget for the rest of his life. I put Moffat's words on the screen. Many a morning have I stood on the porch of my house and looking northward have seen the smoke arise from villages that have never heard of Jesus Christ. I have seen at different times the smoke of a thousand villages, villages whose people are without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world. The smoke of a thousand villages, he kept repeating, the smoke of a thousand villages. Compelled by that vision, David Livingston offered up his life, became the celebrated missionary to Africa. How about you? Will you go? I'm not saying you have to go to Japan. I've been praying that God would lay the burden on somebody's heart on this campus to go to that land. But are you willing to go? Anywhere an airline ticket can reach, would you be willing to go? 
student missionary, offer up. I know your dream is get through here in four years and move on, but what if you put a, hit the pause button in your dream? And you say, God, I'm willing to make my life available to you for an extra year. I'll go anywhere on earth you send me. I'll go anywhere to bring the light of the Galilean to this planet. Are you willing to go? All three worship communities on this campus today are making the identical invitation right now. It's an invitation to the students of Andrews University, appealing to you to consider giving a year out of your life for a people who live in a land of darkness. It's an appeal to the alumni of Andrews University who have been blessed with the means of this life and who can provide the sponsorship for hundreds of students to have airline tickets to go anywhere on this planet that a plane can reach, or a train, or a camel, or wherever. Are you willing to give? Today's Connect card, if you'll pull it out, please, it's in your worship bulletin. Today's Connect card is about those two invitations. Guests, we're delighted that you're here today. Let me tell you that we end every teaching with this Connect card. You can put on the front of the card your name. Please put your email address. If you're interested in receiving some material, I'm going to talk about it in a split second. Make sure your email address is legible. The ushers are moving into position right now. We're going to receive these cards from you in just one second. Turn the card over. We call this the next step side of the card because it's not enough to hear an appeal for world missions, global missions, and then go home to that casserole and forget all about it. There has to be a way we respond to every appeal of the gospel. The Galilean is here. He's making an invitation. Three suggested responses. Box number one, I would like to be a student missionary. Please send me information on how to proceed. If you're a student at Andrews University, I'm going to say down to Andrews Academy, if you're a student here, you put a check mark there, but you give us an email address, we'll put you in touch with two mission-sending organizations right here, Campus Ministries and Adventist Frontier Missions. We'll put you in touch. We'll give, we will send to them your desire. They will send material to you. You decide on your own. I'm earnestly inviting you to put a check mark there if you're a student and take a year off. Be willing to give for the sake of the kingdom and the people living in darkness. Box number two, I'd like to help sponsor student missionaries. Please mark your contribution, student missions. If you'd like to help in our student mission program here at this university, alumni, I'm, I'm particularly speaking to you. Grab a tithe envelope. It's in front of you right now. And scribble on that tithe envelope, student missions. You say, Dwight, I'm not prepared to give. Then take the tithe envelope home. You now have student missions written on it. And make a sacrificial gift for the sake of reaching people who live in lands of darkness where death casts its shadow. You can make a difference. God will honor that commitment as your participation in this mission. And box number three, I will daily claim God's promise to do a new thing here and in Japan. All summer long while you were praying for this campus and this congregation, I was, playing for, I was joining you in praying for this campus and congregation and praying 90 days for Japan as well. They desperately need a new thing in that land. The leadership of the church is struggling. It doesn't have to be Japan. You want to put another country there, but don't just pray for ourselves, please. The world is bigger than us. Add somebody else to that list. Add another country that's lost. Dark. The land, land where the shadow of death has fallen. And then you pray every day. While you're praying for this campus, you pray for that country. You see what God will do. One of these responses certainly reflects your heart. Maybe two of them. Would you kindly mark that 
guess I'm inviting you to do the same. Just mark that connect card and our ushers will come right after this dedication prayer and receive our morning tithes and offerings. By the way, you can give our morning tithes and offerings. That will not go to student missions. It needs to go in an envelope and mark the envelope, student missions. The morning tithes and offerings will go for keeping this campus church going. The president talked about it. It's been here since 1963. It's got to keep going. Thank you for your participation with whatever you put in that plate. In an envelope, mark it student missions. Let's pray. Oh, Father, eternal Father, strong to save, a trinity of love and power, a world held in the icy grip of the enemy of us all, Ten-year-old hearts frozen. Holy Father, let the light of the Galilean shine on this planet one more time. You've made us partners in that mission. So I pray for every heart that right now is sensing the Holy Spirit saying, you can do it, boy, you can do it, girl. I pray for every heart that's wrestling. Give him, give her courage. to follow the steps of the Galilean. I thank you for the alumni who are here. Bless their gifts. Multiply them a hundredfold. And keep us praying for a new thing, Father, here and all over this world. It's all we have ourselves. This life uses any way you wish to cast light into the darkness. For the glory and honor of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.